Hello and welcome to the Startups Roundtable. I'd like to start with an acknowledgement of country. We acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which we meet. Here in Sydney, it's the Gadigal people. We pay respect to Elders past, present and emerging and extend our respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people listening today. Hi, Tony Hackett is my name and on this episode, Cinch Securities co-founder and CEO Susie Jones joins me at the Startups Roundtable to discuss how the Cinch team is finding ways to support small businesses protect their livelihood from cyber risks. These small businesses are some of the most at-risk and underserved parts of today's economy, despite being the backbone of every society, which makes the Cinch security story timely and of great interest. So let's get to it and meet Susie. So uh, Susie Jones, co-founder and CEO of Cinch Security. Uh, so one of two co-founders. I uh, basically run the, the sales and operations side of the business. My co-founder runs the tech side. And Cinch is wholly dedicated to cybersecurity for micro and small businesses. So whilst 99% of the cybersecurity industry is cares about the, the top 3% of businesses <laughs> that are at the top end of town, we care about the 97% of businesses that have fewer than 20 staff. And so we have built um, an automated online SaaS offering that makes assessing cyber risk and then reducing cyber risk simple and manageable for a business owner. So whether or not they have an outsourced IT support provider or not, they can actually stay on top of their cyber risk and gradually reduce that over time. So we have ongoing memberships, we have short-term programs and boot camp programs. And at the moment, we're running a nationwide study on small businesses, cyber, cyber security challenges across the country as well. It's an amazing time for you to be doing this. I'm sure there's no bad time for it to be happening. <laughs> yeah. But if I have a look at what's just been in the press over the last couple of weeks, there's been the uh, Cybersecurity 2020 report, yeah. which spoke to a, a number of the things you've just discussed, and not the least of which is helping small to medium business I forget the language that is used in the report, but it's something like extending that supply chain. So that large, small percent of the majors, how do they ensure that those that they work with and make up part of their ecosystem are equally supported and understood and, and cyber secure? So that's really interesting. And also want to look at one of the four major banks in Australia who is launching, I guess, in a, a real way, their ventures fund and their focus on small to medium business as well. And the third thing that really stood out when you just gave your introduction there is talking about automation. A lot of organizations talk about innovation, and it's too easy to think about the glamour and glitz of the front end and the user experience, all important, don't get me wrong. But how do you help an organization automate at the getting it done and maintaining sustainable infrastructure? And when I looked at what you were doing and asked you to be a guest today, that I must say is what really caught my attention because it's too easy to not have the time or the expertise to make sure the fundamentals are there. Could yeah. you maybe speak to that and how you're thinking about that and how Cinch is actually building out the future for small to medium business? Yeah, sure. There's a few things in all of that to, to unpack. So First thing is when you look at uh, the sheer number of small businesses out there, in Australia alone, there's over 2 million businesses that have fewer than 20 staff. For a company like ours that is on a mission to help as many small business owners as possible and to do that in a way that they can afford, to do it in a way that they've got time 
and recognizing that they, they're not cybersecurity experts. They don't have the expertise that we all have working in tech for our careers. So we knew we needed to create something that had a lot of automation built into it to take the heavy lifting off the small business owner. Because without automation, it would largely be left up to them to be running security assessments off all the tech that they're using, which of course is a big part of the reason why they don't do anything right now. So our platform, we needed to automate it both for our perspective to be able to scale and actually be able to help as many small businesses as but we also need automation to be included for us to be able to take the heavy lifting off a business owner and, and actually make our solution usable for people that don't have tech expertise, let alone security expertise. Similarly, when it comes to the issue that you're talking there about the large businesses wanting to secure their supply chain, et cetera, the only way you can do that without an awful lot of manual handling is to include automation within the reporting. And so within our platform, not only do we assess all of the cyber risk based on a technology the small business uses, we track all the steps that they take so that they can be rewarded for, for actually taking the steps that they should to secure their business. But then that also helps them to, well, helps us to create reports that they can use to demonstrate to their large customers, et cetera, that they're doing the right thing. So in terms of big banks or the Telstra's of the world wanting to secure their supply chain, using a solution like ours that you can only do it if you've got automation built in, we can generate reports so they can understand the, the cybersecurity posture of the small businesses in their supply chain. It is such an important element right now in business. And I must say, when I looked at your career to this point and your background, I was very excited to be speaking today to ask you about that step from being an entrepreneur and to actually make that step. Could you maybe speak to what that was like at the time and and ultimately, what gave you the confidence to move into your own venture? For starters, if you'd asked me three, four years ago if I thought I'd be co-owning and running my own startup, um, I would have laughed in your face. I probably would have snorted and laughed so hard. It wasn't where I expected my career to go at all. So I was rapidly climbing the corporate ladder as fast as I could, trying to help as many people within the large corporate that I was at the time. And, and I found myself with a unique opportunity to go on secondment. So still technically in my other job, but on secondment within the um, innovation area of Australia Post where I was working to work on solving a particular problem within the corporate. And that gave me my first real flavor of, of true entrepreneurship and innovation. And I realized that my personality that sometimes had made it difficult within a corporate world because I like to buck the trend and I like to challenge people and I like to challenge the status quo. And it earned me a bit of a reputation as a bit of a troublemaker and a ball buster. So I found that tenacity that I had um, worked really well within this space. <laughs> and so I really enjoyed it. I spent six months working with my now co-founder on solving that problem. And whilst ultimately it was not an opportunity that Australia Post wanted to continue with. It gave me my first taste of uh, a role and a mission that I could be on where I felt like the, the way that I innately work was actually valued and not just valued, but valuable. And so I spent, once that project was closed, I then spent sort of 12, 15 months, nights and weekends working on what is now Cinch um, in the background until eventually... It, it wasn't really evidence to say that I thought it would work. It wasn't really 
We knew it was a real problem. We knew it was a problem that we thought we could solve, but whether or not we thought Cinch could work or not, we had no idea. But it it became a case of I need to find out for myself. I need to know if we can make this into a real thing. And I'm one of those people that when I know I need to find out something, I'll just find it out. And it, it was a case of if it doesn't work out, I'll go get another job. <laughs> I needed to know, and and so that's what I did. That's brilliant. The process of the world right now makes me wonder if there might be a a lot of people thinking about making that step that you've already made because we're all reviewing and thinking about what we're doing in our day-to-day work life differently even if we're performing it kind of the same so I wonder if there might be some that follow your path when you made the step what was the most surprising thing in a positive way And what was the thing that made you think a little bit harder than you might have considered you would need to? Yeah, I think the most positive step was walking into Startup World and realizing just how helpful everybody is. After a a career, several careers in different parts of corporate life, you have to earn every favor that you ever call in. It's anytime you ask anybody for help, you need to justify what's in it for them. You need to like hold their hand to get anything out of anybody in corporate world. It, it's just the way that it is. And, you know, you, you need to be tenacious about getting that. You enter startup life, whether or not this is everywhere around the world, I don't know, um, but I suspect it is. If you ask somebody, can you help me with this? I don't know how to do this. Can you help me? They'll go, sure. What do you need? And they'll just do it. And, and there's no only if you do this for me, there's, it's no quid pro quo. You're just surrounded with a bunch of people who want to see you succeed or at least want to see you try your best. So that was really, really positive. And, and for me, it, it's really helped basically, I guess, regain my faith in humanity in many respects. The, the, most, the biggest challenge, and this is certainly for something for me personally, and it's been revisited a lot in the last few months with the COVID pandemic, is I need people. We often laugh within Cinch that it's people for Susie. So I I am the person that goes out and meets new people. Sure, I do the sales and the pipeline, but I also, you know, I raise investment. I talk to mentors. I talk to all sorts of people within our business. And that's that's not just to keep me company or anything, but it's also how I learn. It's how I test things is through conversation. I'm not somebody to sit down and read a 20-page document or something and then go off and do something. That's not how I learn. It's not how I work. And so when you start a startup, and my co-founder was not going to be working full-time from the start, so it was going to be just me full-time, it's how do you, how do you surround yourself with pe- enough people to keep you working and to keep you motivating? And that was a big part of the decision for us to join SciRise, the accelerator that we joined straight away, was to make sure that I had what I knew I was going to need, which was people around for both support, but also so that I could continue to learn and, and move faster. I was going to ask about your experience with the Accelerator. And I've had the great fortune, probably a little bit over a decade ago, I was three years with a startup. And I still remember it so, so clearly. I've never learned so much in that period of time. And not to talk myself, I've never worked harder all due respect to the company I'm working for now. If anybody's listening to, I'm working really, really hard now. <laughs> but it, it is so motivating. And to the point of listening to you describe what you're doing, there's an energy that you can only be genuine to those around you. If you're not meeting and matching that energy, then you need to step aside because people are changing the world like you're changing the world. But to the Accelerator program, I've had the opportunity to work with uh, an Accelerator program inside my employer for the last 18 months. 
It has been a joy. Could you take me through your experience? And also, if somebody was listening to the podcast, if they were thinking about it, how would you encourage them to think about identifying an accelerator program? And then if you could maybe bridge talking about mentors and coaches as well. Yeah, so I've actually been part of two because I also completed SBE Australia's E3, which is sort of a mini accelerator program as well. So when it came to choosing the right accelerator for us, once we knew that I needed one, (laughs) choosing the right one, for us, it came down to, did it make more sense for us to go with an industry aligned one, which is CyRise, because it is cybersecurity specific, it's Australia's only cybersecurity accelerator. Or did it make sense because we are small business focused and our target market is across all industries, did it make sense for us to go with a a generalist accelerator that potentially had a better alignment with our customers? And ultimately for us, it came down to what we needed at that point in our business. And we were still building. We had a a rough MVP. We had a pretty good idea around go-to-market. But what we really needed to explore was more around our go-to-market strategy, which would be aligned to working with large corporates and industry bodies that had small business customers or members that they wanted to support from a cybersecurity perspective. And so we knew we needed to go deeper into the cyber market. And so it made sense for us to go with CyRise. In terms of the actual experience, as you say, I've never been worked harder. Every single day, you're meeting with potential partners, potential customers, potential mentors, people challenging every assumption that you've made up until that day, people challenging every fact that you've already established. In one day, you can have a conversation with um, somebody who has very, very valid reasons telling you this is exactly what you should be doing. And the exact same day, you will have a conversation with somebody with very, very valid reasons as to why you should do the exact opposite of what that other person told you. And so it teaches you a lot about having to make decisions and go with your gut and being accepting when you make a mistake or, or when things don't go how you expect or want them to go. The first eight weeks of the program that we were in in CyRise was very, very challenging for us. We constantly had people telling us that our product wasn't going to work and it wasn't solving the problem, et cetera. And, and we realized that it wasn't the product, but it was the pre- presentation of the product and it was the story that we were telling. So we spent every conversation A-B testing the messaging in, in how we were describing what it was that we were doing. When it comes to mentors, I am somebody that I as I said, I like to have lots of different discussions with lots of people, but I think everybody naturally gravitates to those few people out there that either gives them the energy that they need or perhaps will ask them the questions that need to be asked at the time that they need to be asked. So throughout COVID, it has been, it's been a really challenging time. It's been a really challenging time for certainly all of our customers, but it has been for our business as well. I mean, we haven't seen each other face-to-face as a team in four months, nearly five months. And just last week, I had a call with one of my mentors that just came at exactly the time that I needed it. He asked me, okay, what are your goals? What are you expecting to see over the course of the next four months? What are you expecting your product to look like? What are you expecting your customer's experience to be like? Talked through all of that. Okay, what does that mean for you? What do you need to do? Talk through all of that. And he said, okay, how do you feel? And I'm like, I feel so much better than how I felt an hour ago. And I think that's the the role of a mentor is to ask the questions that the person that's in it every day may not necessarily be able to see themselves, ask the right questions, and then otherwise step back. I think quite often mentors 
give a little bit too much advice and tell people how to do things. Whereas sometimes asking the right question at the right time could be so much more powerful for, for an entrepreneur to hear. That's really helpful advice. Your market could be seen to be massive. How do you segment that down and work out what not to do? We're really bad at working out what not to do. We, we constantly try and do too many things. In terms of segmenting our market, well, a few things. So first of all, we try and talk to as many small business owners as we possibly can, as often as we can, and as many industries as we can. But secondly, we also look about what are the key drivers when it comes to technology within different industries. So there are some industries that naturally, when it comes to understanding risk and understanding that risk is a thing that they need to manage, naturally are better at doing that because of the industry that they're in. So financial services, legal, professional services, people that own small businesses in those industries tend to understand that risk is something that they need to be aware of. And many different verticals within that have also been adopting new technology and cloud technology for quite a number of years. So in terms of cyber risk, sitting on a stack of risk and recognizing that they are, they're a little bit further and along the curve. So we targeted financial and professional service small businesses right from the start for that reason. Then you look at things like small business industries that have had to go through a massive technology adoption because of COVID. And healthcare is the first that comes to mind. So for many, many years, telehealth has been available, but because Medicare rebates weren't around, it was not being adopted by healthcare professionals. Now, all of a sudden, there's a Medicare number. Everybody is offering telehealth, but from a security perspective, that introduces a stack of risks, let alone the fact that you now have office workers that, you know, practice managers that are now largely working from home. You've got home networks, all of this new risk, all of this technology adoption. Where does that leave cybersecurity? And so there are new industries now that we get to focus on that before, for very valid reasons, it really wasn't a market for us. And now that's completely changing. But there are also the same industries that are getting smashed from every angle because of the pandemic. So it's something that we're having to navigate as best as we can. When you start to look a little bit over the horizon, where do you look to for trends and signposts and influences that matter to you? A few different things from a security perspective and cybersecurity professionals that listen to this probably won't like this very much. But Trends from a security perspective when it comes to small business really don't change that much. Ransomware and malware and invoicing scams and business email compromise, they've been the top of the list for the last few years and they will continue to be top of the list for the next few years. So we obviously stay in touch with the Australian Cybersecurity Centre and a bunch of trusted sources to keep on top of what are the latest scams to make sure that the advice that we're giving our customers is always top of mind and you know, we can tell them if there's something new that new and shiny that they need to be aware of. But from a security perspective, it's largely the same. So where we focus our efforts, particularly within our business, is trying to focus on what are the pressures that are actually hitting our customer base right now. So obviously right now, JobKeeper and whether or not they're eligible for JobKeeper is top of mind. And so then what does that mean from a security perspective? It means that there's a lot of scammers out there that are impersonating the government. There's lots of false websites. There's, there's lots of spurious information out there that is trying to bring small businesses undone. So we use that and, and try and help our customers to navigate those waters. We then also look at what is happening on, from a regulatory perspective. Privacy and security, they're two different things, but they're definitely aligned. So what is happening when it comes to privacy legislation? What's happening with mandatory standards? 
Um, what are the challenges that we can see coming down the pipeline that are going to catch our customers off guard? And what can we do to help them so that we're there with a solution when they need it? You've shared an enormous amount of, of valuable insight. I'm just wondering if I could ask you to maybe speak to a point around diversity and inclusion as we close our conversation today. For somebody who's built a very successful career inside major corporates and now moved in as co-founder of your own startup, could you maybe share a couple of reflections and even if you felt to make a suggestion to me personally as to something that you would encourage me to think about or how I could think to act? Yeah, absolutely. So for me personally, it was another breath of fresh air coming into startup space. Certainly the challenges that I faced within corporate world, they're not non-existent, but they're only fleeting in startup world compared to corporate Australia. I think corporate Australia really needs to take a hard look at itself in terms of how it treats women and people of colour and people with disabilities in particular. Because walking out of that corporate, I felt like almost I just, I was allowed to breathe for the first time. I was allowed to be me for the first time. I didn't have to justify the way that I worked for the first time. So that was certainly a learning that I took away from it. And I hope others start to think about that. But then also building a company gave me a unique opportunity to build a company that in a way that we're not going to have these sorts of challenges develop within our, our business. So we obviously have global ambitions. We do plan on growing Cinch to being a global solution. And that's going to mean growing our team an awful lot over time. So how can we make sure that we never have things like a gender pay gap? We don't have an issue with people of color or different cultures being promoted up the ranks. And so Adam and I sat down when we first uh, were hiring our first team members and said, how do we, how do we make sure that doesn't happen? So we have a salary calculator that applies to everybody at a different level. So we based it actually roughly on what the company Buffer has and, and openly published themselves. So we have a salary calculator. So when we are offering new roles to people, we offer that salary and there's no negotiation. It's if you want to join, you can be paid this. And, and that's that. It has the wonderful side effect of meaning that we don't waste weeks and weeks negotiating salary and potential share options and all of that because we also have a share option calculator. But that means that we will never have a gender pay gap because it's, it's not based on their gender. It's not based on their negotiation skills. We also track and make sure there's only six of us so far, but we have an age gap from youngest to oldest of about 30 years. I'm pretty proud of that. We have equal men and women. We have I think three of our six were not born in Australia. So, but all of that has happened because we've been quite conscious about it. We haven't decided, oh, well, we're still a startup and we're still small. And so, yes, we're all guys now, but, you know, it'll be fine because when we start to really hire, that's when we look at it. It's such an easy excuse to be made. And I hear it being made all the time by some really fabulous innovators but it is just an excuse. You have to consciously overcome this. And I think our business is so much better for the diversity that we have. And I look forward to that continuing and growing over time. Your answer is way better than my question deserved. That's an amazing <laughs> answer. Seriously, and I'm, I'm familiar with the Buffer story and their model. So as you're expressing it and everything else you've covered in the last 25 minutes, it makes sense that that's what Cinch is doing. That's the way that you're creating your company. So I can only applaud you. And Susie, thanks so much for taking the time today. It has absolutely been a pleasure to meet thank with you and it'd be tremendous to stay in touch and chart the course of Cinch. So thank you. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. I really liked it. 
I was grateful for Susie's generosity in relation to her startup and especially her window into Cinch Security's diversity philosophy and practice. But that's it for today. Thanks for listening and bye for now.